Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon, you will not get there on a road bike and also today, even if the host of this episode is gonna be somebody really really close to road bike, we're not gonna talk only about road bike and that's an amazing thing, probably somebody's getting out from his strict religion rules. Let's talk about that in a couple of minutes. First of all, I have to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And please continue to do it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find these podcasts around. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and rate, and review, and whatever you can do in the platform you are choosing. And also, if you can, Try to share it around in social media, personally, with WhatsApp, with Telegram, with whatever you want, because it's always a good help for us, right? And talking about help for us, I want to say thank you to Andy, Andy Kessler of Open, and to his amazing bicycles. The app that I have here in my recording studio and is coming with me in all the adventure actually this friday i would love to go to burn to tackle some gravel passes i will let you know more just follow me on calamaro cc is the instagram account and apart from that uh, they are launching as well a couple of charity projects i really, really recommend you to go to the website opencycles.com and there you will find into the updates a couple of t-shirts that you can buy in order to give some support to a couple of charity association and uh, they are made by amazing artists i'm talking about Trento Canesio and talking about betty the science and please do it because it's really 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 worth it another thing that i want to say don't forget to go talking about instagram to broom wagon club uh, where you can say there the new jerseys and kits that we produced for this year and we are trying to develop a new project out there if you keep on following broom wagon club you will know more as soon as i can figure out some kind of stuff but yeah, it's a good thing to start. Well, while we're talking about the episode of today, and it's better for me to rush up because this is gonna be a long one. Simon is back, and Simon is back talking about his numbers and letting us discovering amazing characters. This time is the time of Claudio Cucinotta. Claudio is one of the most talented trainer on cycling in this period. He trains the Astana uh, team, road team, and a lot of other pro riders, elite riders in mountain bike and in road. And uh, yeah, Simon met him because of some friends in common, I think, and then he went there also for a consult about bike fitting and also training, and then they decided to organize this episode for us today. They're gonna talk about a lot of numbers, of course, but also a lot of life as a pro, a lot of life as a pro cyclist and a university student, like Claudio, super talented with how we were saying, uh, did. And uh, also about everything and differences between mountain bike and road bike, and also bike fitting, and also which kind of bicycle you should choose at a certain point of your life. I will let you to the both of them, and I'm sitting down here with my coffee, listening to all this episode. Do the same. Okay, so here we are. Um, another episode of Room Wagon carried by me. Uh, and of course, this time is going to be again around training. So I had, in, in the COVID period, I had the chance, the opportunity to, to know Claudio Cucinotta. It was actually during a, a Zwift race. 
And yeah, uh, for the guys who don't know him, he's, let's say, one of the most renowned and best coaches in the Italian area. And I'm very, very uh, glad to, to have this interview with him. So hello, Claudio. Hello. Hello, everybody. So a brief introduction about yourself, because I introduced you as a coach. But could you tell us a little bit of what is your background? Uh, I mean, age, weight, okay. <laughs> height, <laughs> everything. I, I avoid my weight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I, as you just told, I am a, a coach. Uh, my sport background uh, is almost is almost about cycling. I started my cycling uh, career in 1991, so almost uh, 30 years ago. And uh, of course, I'm a, as a, a young cyclist with a young category. You started in cycling, right? Not in coaching directly. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yes, in cycling, of course. And uh, in fact, I was uh, nine years old because I'm, I was born in 1982. So in 1991, I started, my, I started my cycling career, we can call it like this. And uh, from the young categories, I, I did all the, all the cycling categories. So from uh, uh, youngs to under, under 15, under 13, under 15, juniors, under 23, elite and uh, pro rider. And uh, so I, I, I saw a lot, of, a lot of things about cycling, about uh, training, about everything uh, is around uh, this, uh, this weird world of cycling. And um, to, to try to, um, to pursue my passion for, for sport, for cycling, when I was uh, 19 years old, so when uh, you have to, almost you have to decide what to do with, <laughs> with your life, I decided to, to do of my passion, my, my work, my job. And so I decided to, to go to university, to Sports Sciences University. And so in 2001, I started uh, attending the Udine University. And uh, I, I shared uh, my, my bicycle, my, my cycling passion with the, with the books, with the studying. And uh, for... Five years have been under 23 and elite uh, rider, uh, of course, in Italy. In uh, as for the road, uh, I've been I've been also Italian uh, champion in uh, in road for the elite category. Whoa. And thanks to that, in 2006, I I in 2000, at the end of 2005, I signed my first year uh, contract uh, as a professional. And uh, in 2006, uh, I became a professional rider. Weren't you at the university at the same time? I mean, because you told me you started university also. So you, you managed to do both things together. Yes. Uh, from 2001 to 2005, I did the both things. So I studied and I, racing, I raced as a cyclist. And uh, I could uh, achieve my, my degree in 2005. And uh, of course, it, it's not been easy to, to do the both things because, uh, as, as you know, cycling at a high level uh, requi requires a lot of training, a lot of hours of training. 
And uh, in Italy, science of sport is a, a, a degree that uh, requires a, a compulsory... Uh, uh, you, you have to go to the lessons. <laughs> so I, 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 I had to manage uh, very carefully my time. In fact, uh, that's where I, I learned how to train uh, with uh, low, low, vol yeah, low volume <laughs> and high intensity. <laughs> what was more difficult, university or cycling? What gave you more problems? For, for me, <laughs> it was more difficult cycling because... Uh, I've always been very lucky with <laughs> with uh, studying. I luckily I don't need to to, to study so much. I remember uh, a lot. Of, I, I remember very well what uh, what I read, what I what I hear, and so it was easy, uh, quite easy for me to to give all the exams, to pass the exam, and to and to reach the the degree in two thousand five. It was more difficult cycling because uh, at that time, so, so at the beginning of the 2000 years, uh, I was um, maybe one of the few cyclists who was going to university. And so all my competitors uh, did only cycling so they could train uh, as much as they wanted. They could, uh, especially they could uh, relax, they could uh, rest uh, and uh, uh, do whatever they needed to to rest properly from the from the trainings, and uh, on the contrary, I had to to train like them or a little bit less because uh, the time was limited. Uh, but uh, I couldn't recover like them because uh, in the afternoon I had to go to lesson. I uh, a, a lot of times I had to to study till late night, and uh, it was difficult to to manage the both things. But uh, yeah, and you I also could, have another source of stress, no, from the university and everything. Yes, which... yeah. In fact, uh, I I reached the degree in two in uh, at the in February on February in the two thousand and five, and from uh, that date on, uh, my my results went <laughs> exploded. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I had more time for me, more time to train, more time to relax to. To rest and uh, some month uh, months later i won my yes the, the italian championship as an elite rider and uh, thanks to that i could sign my my contract uh, as professional uh, but you're you're racing on the road and in mountain bike uh, only one of the two how, how how did you manage that i mean was it from the beginning that you chose both or I, I've always been riding uh, mostly on road and uh, on track because I was a, I was a sprinter when I was a, a professional rider. And so I was good also on track. Uh, in fact, I also won two Italian championships uh, as professional on, on track. Wow. And uh, in 2007 and 2008, if I'm not wrong, if I remember well. And uh, but I I always had the passion also for mountain bike, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, race on it because I was uh, I had a contract as a road rider. Mm -hmm. But when I when I quit my career when I stopped in 2010, uh, from 2011 on I started uh, doing some races as amateur in uh, in mountain bike because. Uh, as I told you, I always liked it, 
and uh, I think it's more fun for me for as a as a recreational rider I think it's very very funny and uh, so I I started racing on uh, on mountain bike as an amateur and uh, I do it uh, I still do it when I can uh, so I think it's yeah, yeah. Good, uh, my whole team knows you and they have nightmares when they're on a flat course against you. They are much stronger than me on climbs, but uh, I, can, uh, I can manage uh, with my experience and uh, with my downhill ability. But uh, when there are climbs, they are much stronger than me. I know them, I know them very well. We're still amateurs. Yeah. But you mentioned you, you, you quit road cycling in 2011, you said? Uh, 2010 uh, was my last year. Yeah. Okay. But, but you were still pretty young there, right? So you're from... Yes, I was 28. I was 28. Which seems like big years for a cyclist, no? Yes, yes. Um, we can say that, uh, yes, I did uh, five years as a professional. I've never been in the World Tour level. I've been in professional level. I was uh, uh, one, two years with Tenax, uh, an Italian team, one, uh, two years with LPR, uh, and one year with De Rosa. And uh, last year, 2010, was my best uh, professional year. Uh, I won two races. I did a lot of uh, results, a lot of top tens uh, finishes. Uh, but at the end of the year, my team uh, merged with uh, another team, so the uh, the spots were the half. And uh, we can say that uh, the team manager tried to <laughs> I don't know what to say uh, how to say it. Uh, tried to leverage uh, for uh, he wanted to keep me but uh, with a very low wedge <laughs> and uh, I already I already started uh, with my actual job so I, I had already started doing the, the coach the, the trainer and uh, I knew that I wasn't a, a big champion I wasn't a, I don't know a Petacchi or a Cipollini of course but I was a a normal rider. I knew that uh, I could uh, I could have gone uh, some more years uh, on with cycling, but uh, I before or after I had to to start doing a, a real job. We can call it like that. Yeah. And uh, when I saw that situation, that even if I I had my best uh, cycling uh, career season. They wanted to cut my my wedge. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is the moment to quit. Uh, even even because uh, as a sprinter, I was uh, my 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 memories about racing is always full gas. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's been very very hard for me because uh, on climbs, of course. I was I was dropped by stronger riders, so I had to go full gas not to lose too much time. On downhills, I had to go full gas to recovery and to get in the bunch again. On last kilometer, I had to go full gas to stay in the front positions to to go to approach the the sprint. And of course, last kilometer, I had to go full gas because I had to sprint. 
So <laughs> I, I always was full gas. So, <laughs> so you're, you're telling me that sprinters have a tough life. Yes, a very tough life. Someone thinks that because they arrive uh, in the mountain stages, uh, I don't know, 40 minutes behind uh, the winner, it's easy, but uh, it's not easy at all. Because uh, if you went to, of course, you, you did some uh, Gran Fondo, some uh, amateur races. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I guess you know very well that who wins the, the amateur races. I, we, can, we can say that the level uh, on climbs is like a, a professional sprinter. Uh, so anyway, the, the sprinter compared with the, with the professional climbers looks like uh, very weak. <laughs> <laughs> but is anyway a, a strong uh, aerobic uh, aerobic uh, rider so it's uh, it's a, it's a particular uh, a particular cyclist because uh, he has to be uh, aerobic uh, from the aerobic point of view he has to be strong strong enough to to arrive to the, to the sprint but he, he got to have also anaerobic qualities to do uh, high, uh, high, high watts in the sprints. Yeah, which sometimes, I mean, there are people that say, okay, I have high watts in five seconds, 10, ten seconds yeah. or whatever. But I think that the, the thing that differentiates a good sprinter is that you have to come to the last 200 meters in the first position and be able to express those watts, which means a whole different story in the previous, let's say, 200 kilometers and in particular in the, in the previous three, four, five kilometers, no? Yes, of course. It's very different. Uh, I had the, the, the opportunity, the, la, the lucky, the luck to, to, to be Petaki's teammate. I was, uh, I've been his lead out man in... Uh, a lot of occasions in uh, LPR, and uh, I wasn't surprised from by his uh, peak power, by his uh, sprinting ability when he was uh, fresh after some kilometers. But I was surprised by his aerobic engine. He, in climbs, he was very, very strong. He could, uh, if he, if he, if he wanted, he could uh, on a mountain stage, he could uh, finish in the top thirty, top forty. That who knows cycling knows that is a is a lot for a, for a sprinter so yeah. maybe it wasn't the the yeah then the peak power the, the highest peak power among the group among the bunch but uh, when he when he was in the last meter he was uh, it was like he had uh, just started yeah and so he could uh, he could uh, reach uh, high powers higher than the others because the others were a little bit tired probably yeah 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 which is yeah different perspective on sprinters actually i i, I never saw it this way I, I think this pretty much tells also about continuity i mean if they keep doing this kind of stuff uh it's not isolated they think they they have an aerobic engine which allows them to do that since i think in in the tour in the giro or in multi-stage races yes of course yes of course so 28 years old and you go into coaching are you happy about the choice or you have regrets? Would you do again the same thing or would you insist in trying to find a different team? No regrets at all. I'm very happy with my choice because as I told you, I was aware that uh, maybe I could, I could have been a pro cyclist for four, five or six more years. But in the end, uh, I think it wouldn't change my life. I could uh, probably it, it, it would be worse because uh, I would uh, started 
I would have started coaching four or five years later. And uh, in this moment, I would have less experience. And uh, so probably I think uh, it's been the best choice for me to, to quit cycling and to start uh, coaching full time. Because I, I, I was coaching also when I was, uh, a cy- when I was a pro cyclist. I started coaching in 2005. Uh, and I, when I was a, a pro cyclist, I, I was also coaching some other pro cyclists. And uh, it was weird this uh, this situation. Uh, what gave me most satisfaction was uh, was coaching, uh, was more coaching that uh, than uh, my results. So I had more satisfaction with the results of the athletes athletes I I coached than from my results. Perfectly understand this. And you actually started coaching in the years uh, when power meters were coming out, so they were yeah. emerging. Yeah. How was it from your perspective? Because I've, I think that especially in the beginning, people didn't know how to look at power meters or they were looking into the heart rates more. They were a little bit skeptic. What was your start with the power meters? Uh, my start was with the power meter was quite early because uh, when I became under 23 in 2001, I, I bought my first power meter. It was, uh, I used a secondhand uh, SRM. Uh, so in so in 2001, I I started using power meters. And uh, at that uh, time, I think I was the maybe the only Italian uh, under twenty three rider who <laughs> who had uh, who had one. And uh, but you were training by power already from the beginning, and you started shifting your trainings to consider the power meter, or you just wanted to collect some data and see how this goes, and we're still following, let's say the teams training guides or stuff like that when uh, when i was in in 2001 when i got uh, under, under 23 uh, in italy i don't know in the rest of the world but i think everywhere almost everywhere uh, the figure the the, um, the 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 coach the the trainer wasn't uh, wasn't a um, a person part of the teams so almost uh, everybody uh, did uh, what uh, what they thought it was better for them, or the what, uh, the sports director of the team who, who was giving some tips, some uh, um, was giving was saying to the to the cyclists what what to do about training. In general, cyclists were free to choose the trainer that they wanted. Yes, but the, the weren't, there weren't so many trainers available at the time. It wasn't it wasn't a job uh, like now that uh, there are thousand uh, of trainers there were very very few and, uh, and and probably that's why i felt the necessity to <laughs> to 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 cover that uh, that hole that uh, the lack of uh, of this uh, this figure of this uh, job and so when I, when i started using the power meter um, at first i started collecting data datas and uh, i was curious curious about it and uh, i do i did a lot of uh, attempts a lot of trials for example uh, about testing i now it looks pretty easy to test because uh, if you have a power meter you can test on the road there are a lot of protocols uh, and it it's quite easy uh, if you want to test in the lab in the lab 
there are a lot of uh, indo trainers that uh, are very reliable as the power and very easy to use but uh, 20 years ago i can uh, assure you that, <laughs> the, that there was nothing indo, indo trainers were shit <laughs> i mean from the from the power point of view they uh, almost none of them was accurate and, uh, but uh, you didn't know it. Uh, the, the only way to 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 know it was to <laughs> to buy them and to try them, and that's what I did. So I, I bought a lot of uh, indoor trainers, and uh, thanks to the power meter I had, I could uh, I could check if they were good or if they were not good, and uh, they almost were not good, and uh, <laughs> yeah, almost all of them, and so. I started wondering also about uh, uh, the numbers that uh, sometimes you could hear or read uh, in the media at the time, and uh, yeah, I but could, still now actually. Yeah, <laughs> I could compare them with mine, and I could, uh, for example, one of uh, the first uh, indoor trainers I bought. Uh, it looked like it, it was one of, of the most reliable. And uh, I tried to, to test myself with it. And uh, it, it had a particular protocol uh, of a, a ramp, a particular ramp. It, uh, it, it, it went uh, uh, eight, if I'm not wrong, eight watts more. No, four watts more every eight seconds. It was weird. Oh. Yeah. Very <laughs> it technical. Was, yeah, it was a very steep ramp. And of course, then I understood that uh, it uh, overestimated my everyone's threshold power, of course. And I remember that I did the, the first test to myself, and uh, the result was uh, 420 uh, watt, watts uh, at uh, anaerobic threshold. I was less than 70 kilos. And, uh, Which is good for the world record. Yes, of course. Our world record, more or less. Or in line with it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and that's when I, I understood that uh, I had to find, find uh, a way to, to test uh, in, a, in a more precise, in a, in a more reliable way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, there, I guess there has been an evolution also in the instruments and, and everything in recent years. But right, right now, uh, what is a protocol that you would recommend for testing? Oh, first of all, what, what model do you use? FTP, critical power, uh, some, something in between? Uh, what, what's, what, what's the, let's say, the, the method that you like to use for training? Uh, so for the, for the, the testing, uh, FTP is the, is the easiest way. If you had a 20 minutes test, uh, it's very easy to to do. It's hard, of course, for the athlete, but uh, then the, to find the the results is, is very easy. Of course, uh, the, the, also this test has some um, some limits because uh, not for all the riders is easy to go full gas for twenty minutes. Not all of them can uh, uh, manage the the effort because some of them. Uh, uh, I used to start too hard, or some of them start to with too low intensity, and then uh, the the final result is not not always the the best result they they could achieve. Probably, but anyway, if uh, if you do it with an, an experienced rider who already did it uh, some time, mm -hmm. quite reliable. So, so to the twenty minute test, you subtract a certain percentage. 
Is it uh, five, seven? What, what do you use? I usually use five uh, percent. Mm-hmm. But for example, uh, I like more another kind of test. If we talk of uh, about field test, so on the on the road, uh, usually I. I do critical power test with uh, three uh, three different uh, duration trials, uh, one of uh, one minute, mm-hmm. uh, one of um, one of uh, five minutes, and one of uh, on, of ten or twenty minutes. Uh, and this is for sure it's more reliable because you can uh, you can put in relation the the power with the with the duration. And then you can have a, a better curve, a better uh, description of the of the physiological uh, characteristics of the of the athlete. Because of course, with the twenty minutes test, you only know about aerobic power. But uh, usually, for example, for a climber or for a, an aerobic rider, it could uh, uh, underestimate and. On the contrary, for a sprinter, it could uh, overestimate because, uh, for example, a sprinter for 20 minutes, for one one single effort of 20 minutes, could be could be strong. But if you if he does it, uh, I don't know, three times from the first to the third time, there could be a, also five or ten percent uh, difference. Yeah. For a climber, yeah. probably, I don't. I don't say that it's the same from the first to the third attempt, but probably there are less uh, less differences compared with a with a sprinter or a, an aerobic uh, anaerobic uh, athlete. Yeah, and also I mean, two people that have the same twenty minutes power can yeah. have completely different five minutes. Of course, of course, and, and for sure, uh, it's more more true about uh, one minute or fifteen seconds or five seconds. Of course. It depends on the, the athlete characteristics. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, the, the ramp test that you do indoor, uh, what do you think is the advantage of that? And what is the disadvantage of that? But the advantage is that, is that uh, the, the, the conditions are always the same. So uh, temperature, humidity are almost the same uh, all over the year. And uh, the power meter uh, is uh, always uh, the same always accurate and uh, uh, so this from this point of view is more reliable than uh, a field test than a, a road test mm-hmm. and, uh, I think it's uh, also easier for an athlete uh, to to do it because 20 minutes full gas is is pretty hard on the ramp test uh, you go very hard only the last four or five minutes of the test so and also you, you don't have the problem of pacing no you you go yeah, until you can i mean in 20 minutes you have to think yeah, yeah. i have to manage myself yes on the rap test instead you don't have to do it you you just need to to follow the the right cadence and uh the, the indoor trainer does everything uh, the resistance go, gets higher every minute or every two minutes it, de- it depends on the protocol and uh, the, the cyclist only has to pedal so it's it's easier yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you can vomit at the end if they're still alive <laughs> yeah. so, if they give everything uh, sometimes happen to me uh yeah. not, not after not after the ramp test but after the wingate test that is a 30 second test and usually the, the sprinters the, the are the, the 
cyclists with more anaerobic power and anaerobic capacity. Uh, happened uh, sometimes happened that uh, they they had to vomit after the, the thirty seconds uh, test because it's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. gave it all. They, they, they gave everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, so uh, and about after testing, you know, since you are training both uh, road cyclists, uh, as you said, and mountain bike, because I got to know you because you trained the let's say the biggest guns in the Italian cross country <laughs> field, so the bright dot twins, right? Yes. Uh, what are the differences a little bit in in the power profiles of those people? I mean, since you train Astana and you train, uh, you know, mountain bike top gun elites, yeah. in I mean, first of all, the big question: which guys are stronger? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Uh, there is a there is a. Um... Uh, a difference, of course, in the power profile and uh, in the characteristics of the uh, of uh, the different uh, the different disciplines. Because uh, in in road cycling, uh, there you can be a specialist of climb of climbs. You can be a specialist of sprints. You can be a specialist of time time trials, and uh, you could have very different uh, characteristics uh, one from another. And uh, but uh, you can have uh, uh, some uh, some very uh, high profile in, uh, for example, I don't know, for a sprinter, five seconds, fifteen seconds, one minute. But you can be um, you can have a lower uh, lower power uh, from the aerobic point of view. So in twenty minutes or sixty minutes. And uh, on the contrary, uh, a climber can have a very high power uh, in 60 minutes or 20 minutes or 10 minutes, but a very low power in sprints, so in 5 seconds, 15 seconds or 1 minute. Uh, and they both can win. Can win uh, a rider with very high anaerobic power and low aerobic power, and uh, uh, of course on, in sprints, and can win a rider with very high aerobic power, but very low, very poor anaerobic power. Uh, like a, a climber in a mountain bike cross country this doesn't exist you gotta have both very high you, you have to be a, almost a good sprinter and almost a good a, a good climber so uh, probably uh, the best best climbers in the world are a little bit uh, have a little bit uh, higher anaerobic uh, sorry aerobic power uh, the ratio of baths per kilo, of course, uh, a little bit higher than uh, a top uh, mountain biker. A very good, uh, a top level sprint road sprinter could have a, a little bit higher power uh, as for the anaerobic uh, effort, so five seconds, 15 seconds, and one minute. But the, the mountain biker uh, is uh, almost a good sprinter, almost a good climber, almost a good, a good tri time trialist. He has, he's an all-rounder cyclist. Uh, that's why I, I, I admire, from, from my point of view, uh, I, I, I like more the, the, the mountain bikers because, from my point of view, they are better cyclists because... If uh, the, if uh, uh, a cross country rider wins a World Cup event, for example, 
it means that uh, he's a uh, <laughs> I don't know he's uh, he's complete he's complete he's got everything yeah. if if uh, you win the Tour de France of course you're a, a huge uh, athlete but uh, you are uh, more specific more sectorial I don't know what to say uh, you are very strong in uh, climbs but if you sprint with a an amateur uh, riding the the circuit races, the criteriums, he beats you. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You won the Tour de France, but you go in a criterium race with amateur guys, and you are beaten by the half of them, uh, probably if you go in a sprint. Uh, on the contrary, a cross country rider, if he goes with an in a in amateur. Uh, cross-country race or on an amateur road race uh, criterium or Grand Fond or any any kind of race of course he can, if he can uh, stay in the bunch uh, he's anyway one of the strongest riders of the of the bunch yeah, in, yeah, all, yeah. in all the fields in all the in all the kind of races and in training is that for for those Two kind of riders, so mountain bike and road. Yeah. Uh, what, what difference does it make you for? I mean, for you when you prepare a training plan for them, what do you look into? A mountain bike guy or a road? Let's say a Grand Fondo guy or a sprinter or a climber. Of course, we are talking uh, about uh, cross country mountain bike because uh, marathon is very close uh, from the physiological point of view, is very close to the Grand Fondo rider or to the road rider. So cross-country is the mountain bike race that's around 90 minutes, 60 yeah. to 90 minutes? Yes, yes. Okay. There is a circuit uh, to do more times. And usually the, 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 the length, the, the duration of the race for the elite riders is 90 minutes. And uh, usually the, the, the profile, the, the altitude profile the, is very, very different. There, there could be uh, long climbs for long, I mean, I mean uh, three, four minutes, no more. Uh, or there could be a lot of short climbs like 20 seconds, 30 seconds climbs. Uh, of course, there are technical descents, technical downhills. So you, you got to be... <laughs> able to, to to ride your bicycle uh, you, you you gotta have a, a lot of uh, guiding skills and uh, and that's it so you gotta you gotta have a, a you have to you have to ride for 90 minutes uh, almost full gas and uh, you you also have to drive your bicycle into the down, downhills so if you do a climb full gas, then you have to, you gotta be uh, focused uh, enough to, to to go in the downhill without any mistakes. Because if you do mistakes, you you fall down, or you lose time. Uh, so it, it's difficult also from the technical and from the uh, concentration uh, point of view. Uh, I, I guess there also the aerobic part kicks in because the higher aerobic base you have, the better you recover and the easier is it to, for you to, let's say, manage a downhill ride. Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, so uh, compared to the road uh, races for the professional riders, they usually last from four hours to 
even even uh, till uh, seven hours. So of course, road races are, are much longer, and so are more based on aerobic uh, power. And uh, cross country is uh, you gotta have a, a big aerobic engine, so you you have to train also a lot from the aerobic point of view, but you have to train more compared to the to the road cyclist from the anaerobic point of view. Uh, so you gotta do high intensity efforts, uh, repeated high intensity efforts, but uh, we can say that basically they are both aerobic sports. So the ba- the base of the of the training is anyway an aerobic effort. So some uh, exercises, some workouts could be uh, very similar, and some of them could be a little bit different uh, because you for a cross country rider rider you you have to you have to train more the the anaerobic uh, capacity, the anaerobic anaerobic power, and then there are the the, te- the technical skills of course. And so that's what I do. At least one session a week, you, they have to focus on the on the technical skills, and so go on technical uh, tracks and, uh, and and ride on them. And ride on them. Uh, there is a little different uh, also from the um, off bike training. Uh, yeah. So the gym actually. Yeah, yes. Usually. For years in uh, in cycling, in road cycling, uh, they used to to train uh, in the gym uh, in the winter, two three months, and then uh, to leave it, to abandon it, and uh, to train only with the bicycle for the rest of the year. So usually from November to December or January, uh, they they could go to the gym, but from January or February on. They only trained uh, with a bicycle. Uh, mountain bike, uh, it's different because uh, it's it's more important to have that the, the whole body is uh, efficient and is uh, trained, and uh, because they have to face a lot of different situations in uh, in uphills and in downhills. And uh, usually one uh, or two sh- sessions per week are uh, dedicated to, to the gym also in the, in the on-season period. So it's also in the, the racing period. Uh, now in the last, uh, last few years, uh, also in road cycling, uh, especially for the sprinters, uh, the gym uh, is often uh, uh, done also in the racing season. But uh, not as much as uh, in the in the mountain bike uh, training. And, and specifically in the gym, what's the let's say the typical work? So like strong weights or uh, light weights and a lot of repetitions. Um, does it depend on the time of the year? Yes, it depends on the time of the, of the year. Uh, of, of course, there are different ways, different uh, different approaches. Yes, and uh, uh, but usually uh, the, on uh, for road cycling for, for almost all the all the road cyclists uh, they are used to to use uh, uh, low weight and high number of repetitions. Uh, only for the sprinters, sometimes you can. Uh, they, they, they are used to 
to use uh, high uh, high uh, weights and uh, a low number of repetitions. But um, normally the they use low weight and high number of repetition. But uh, in the last few years, the um, they start uh, the, for all the the cyclists. Uh, the, the, the tendency is to use uh, functional training, so body weight or a little weight uh, more, and uh, do exercises with uh, with the body weight. Uh, without uh, without more weight, uh, high number of repetitions, and uh, balance exercises, and uh, core stability exercises. Uh, so in, in, in the gym, the shift uh, goes from the legs to a little bit the rest of the body also. Yes, yes. A total, a total body, a total body training. And for the mountain bike, this is this, uh, this is more important because, of course, uh, they they use all the whole body to drive the bicycle, and uh, functional training is uh, is very important for them. And uh, I used to, <laughs> to 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 make them train in the gym uh, all over the year, and uh, with functional training exercises, core stability exercises, and of course uh, stretching uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. And this is for professional and elites, uh, which more or less in terms of hours spent per week, how much do they train? But for the road uh, cyclists, they train from 20 to 30 hours per week. It depends on the period of the year and uh, on, the, on the phase of the, of the training, on the, tra- on the training period. Uh, for cross-country mountain bike, uh, usually the total uh, volume of the week goes from 15 to 20 years, 20 to 20 hours per week. Uh, so a little, a little bit less. Mm-hmm. But let's say instead, uh, let's go to a little bit to uh, the more common words. So since you don't only train professionals, let's say for for people that have between 10 and let's say eight to 12 hours per, per week, which is pretty common in the amateur world. Uh, would you still recommend also having uh, a gym session if you have this kind of time available or is it better to focus only on the bike? What, what would you think? But if, if you, if you are a road amateur, mm, I, I suggest if you have a limited time, of course, so between eight to 12 hours per week, probably it's better as uh, from the results point of view uh, if you if you concentrate only on the bicycle mm-hmm. uh, with a mountain biker uh, in some periods of the year it's better if you also uh, focus on on the gym so one session per week could be dedicated to the gym and in some periods of the years of the year, uh, is is better to focus on the on the bicycles if you have a limited time. Uh, but uh, uh, when uh, when I'm asked about uh, about uh, any question about training, uh, my my answer is always it depends. Always it depends. Which is always no. There are no. No, there is no right answer, no wrong answer. Yeah, true, 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 true. That's what I think, and that's that's my philosophy. 
Uh, I perfectly agree on that. You also need to understand who is the person that uh, should follow that uh, training program and, and everything. Of course. But yeah, the, the thing of how you manage the, the free time that you're available is, is pretty interesting because there are a lot of things that work in cycling. So gym is one, um, healthy food, healthy eating is another. But at the end of the story, uh, you have a lot of time available for you to do that. And how you manage that between yeah, gym, preparing better food, sleeping better, or or cycling, or how much intensity to do if you only do high intensity, which in my opinion is a complete disaster, mm-hmm. or you, you just want to go and ride as much as possible. Yeah, it's, it's complicated, no? Yeah, yeah it's very <laughs> complicated. Uh, in my experience, uh, if we talk about amateur cyclists, the, the, the most of them train uh, to uh, average high intensity, I don't know if uh, if I uh, I am clear. Uh, I mean which is zone 4 zone 5 if, if we can speak in zones maybe it's easier to understand. Yes yes uh, no I mean uh, for example uh, today you have uh, 3 hours of time of to train the in my experience the average amateur goes uh, 3 hours between uh, zone 2 and zone 3. But uh, in my opinion, is more clever to train a little lower intensity, but uh, to insert in the training some higher intensity uh, efforts because that's what you do uh, when you race. Of course, it depends on what kind of race you gotta you, you want to you want to you want to go. If you want if you want to compete in ultra cycling, it's completely different that from criteriums. Uh, so. It depends uh, what uh, what you wanna wanna achieve, what you want to, what you, uh, where do you want to race? Yeah, yeah. So when you go hard, go hard. When you go easy, go easy. Yes, that's a, this is too my my philosophy. I mean, for me, uh, it's useless to always to go at thirty five kilometers per hour for three hours. It's very if you go at 28 kilometers per hour, but you do some efforts at 50 kilometers per hour. If we talk about yeah. the speed, that is um, yeah, 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 yeah. easy to, to understand. Yeah, I perfectly understand. But instead, since most of the, of the various people that, um, I mean, made books about training and everything, uh, also talk about recovery weeks. Also, I'm, I'm referring to Kogan, uh, Hunter, and those kind of guys. Um, what do you think of a recovery week? Because a lot of people uh, have recovery weeks, and after the recovery week, they feel awful. They just feel bad. I mean, this didn't work. I I, I was feeling better before. Um, what do you, in general? What do you think of recovery weeks? The answers, the the responses are different uh, between an athlete uh, between athletes. Uh, you have to understand what kind uh, of athletes you're, you're training and uh, that's why it's very important the feedback from the athlete so if uh, th- there are athletes of, uh, who after a recovery week they, they, they seem to fly they seem to ride very very faster than, uh, than before and there are riders who after a recovery week uh, they feel as you said uh, awful and uh, this is very important to understand and to know because 
usually when you have an important uh, race uh, or an important an important event the the week before or the period before uh, you used to have an, a recovery week a lower lower volume and intensity week but uh, you have to manage it uh, considering considering the athlete you you are training for some uh, athletes for example uh, the three the two three days uh, before the race they can uh, almost uh, do complete rest or only very very easy rides uh, and they in the race they feel very very good and for uh, some other riders, uh, the day before the race, they, they got to do high-intensity efforts because if they don't do them uh, for the first uh, kilometers of the race, they, don't, uh, they, they feel very, very bad. Uh, I think there, is a, there isn't a, a, rule, uh, a right rule about this. Uh, it depends on, uh, on, uh, on the rider. Uh, for my in my experience, are uh, are more frequent frequent the riders that uh, after a, a recovery week they they feel better than the ones who feel worse. But uh, uh, statistically speaking, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for example, if uh, we talk about volume, volume, uh, if uh, the, the the volume in hours of a high load uh, week is uh, let's say 20 hours per week when i do a recover week uh, i do usually 12 hours no less there is someone who uh, but, but i don't know if it's true i don't know if it's uh, if it's right but that's what i what i think that works from the the most of from the, the guy. I, I train yeah. for my experience uh, there are some coaches uh, who go for uh, when the high load week is 20 hours with the recovery week they go with seven eight hours so uh, much less or some of them go with 16 hours so a little bit more uh, i don't know which one is the right answer but uh, <laughs> for some for some guys works uh, 12 weeks uh, 12 hours for some guys works uh, 12 hours with high intensity efforts for some of them works uh, eight hours for some uh, 16. Mm -hmm. and you, you start to understand the people that you train after some time yeah, because yeah, you yeah. see how they react and, and it's, it's not it's not easy uh, uh, to understand uh, all of them because uh, some of them give you feedbacks and uh, are very good at uh, uh, giving you feedbacks uh, because they they are very sensitive and they can uh, understand this. But some some riders are not. Uh, just they, they they have difficulty to understand to 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 really feel how they feel. <laughs> but th then you see the numbers, right? Yes, you see the numbers. But uh, in in my opinion, in my experience, numbers. Are not always uh, all uh, the whole part of uh, performance. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I love numbers. It's a, a very important part part of cycling and of training, but uh, they are not the only the only one. Mm -hmm. And to evaluate the numbers, what software do you use? Because I, I know some some coaches that use Training Peaks, others that use Golden Cheetah. Mm -hmm. 
others that use uh, Excels that they made themselves uh, and they just use the fit files from the Garmin's. Yeah, um, usually uh, I use uh, Training Peaks, uh, mm -hmm. Golden Cheetah, or uh, Self Loops, that is an Italian uh, platform, uh, like we can say, like Training Peaks. Uh, or um, I often use with the amateur guys or also Strava that is uh, with a with a premium uh, account is uh, of course not like training picks but it, it, I think is enough it's interesting and that's what I usually use usually if I I feel if I want a, a more a deeper analysis I use a golden cheetah I I take the file and I analyze it with the golden cheetah. So you, you can see how the anaerobic power develops mostly compared to training picks, yeah, I guess. Yes, yes. training picks is very good, but uh, for some things, uh, golden cheetah is more, uh, you can go deeper in, uh, in the numbers. Yeah, from, from what I see, training picks is perfectly fine for the first four zones and then golden cheetah yeah, yeah. tells you a little bit more. Yeah, and, and yourself instead? How do you train yourself? Because I, I can't imagine that you don't train anymore. Nothing zero after being, you know, a road cyclist and being a coach. You, you do something, right? I gotta train. Uh, otherwise, I get uh, one hundred twenty kilos. <laughs> I like eating, and I train. I train to eat. I train to eat more. That's my. You're chasing cakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I I love training. I love riding. My bicycles. I I have uh, many bicycles, and uh, I used I I use one bicycle uh, depending on the mood of the day. So I have a mountain bike, road bike, gravel bike, cyclocross bike, single speed bike, uh, track bike. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got it. <laughs> because you know the favorite question of of Stefano is. How many bikes do you have? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, 12 or 13. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the bicycles I, I use uh, most, the, mostly are the road bike, the gravel bike, and the mountain bike. The thing about bikes is that recent in recent years, in the last two, three, four years, we've seen a lot of aero bikes coming out. So there has been a huge focus on the aero. Yeah. The weight uh, is starting to increase a little bit. So now you find those top-notch bikes that have around seven and a half, eight kilograms. Yeah. I guess you know the UCI limit that is six point eight, and you find actually bikes are six point five, six point zero, stuff like that. Um, what do you think about this? Uh, is it uh, more efficient to have, um, let's say, a heavier bike that has the whole part of uh, let's say the drivetrain that is more efficient and is uh, swifter in the wind or uh, is weight a very big component in in a bike and what is the advantage of let's say a, a having a light bike and a heavy bike depends on, on the rider uh, for example uh, just talking about numbers uh, if we talk about uh, a rider weighing 60 kilos or a rider like me weighing 85 kilos. For me, uh, in a bicycle, uh, 500 grams more or less, it's, mm, it's not so much. For a rider weighing 55 or 60 kilos, 
it's it's much more in percentage. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It depends also on the on the power output of the rider that uh, has to go on the bicycle. Uh, for example, there are riders who, when they do a sprint, they can do 900 or less than 1,000 watts, uh, and uh, for them, the, the the stiffness of the bicycle could be not so important. There are riders who can go above 1,500 watts, and for them, of course, <laughs> uh, the stiffness is very, very important. And uh, uh, for my characteristics, I, ch- I choose, of course, a bicycle that is a little bit heavier, but is more stiff and, uh, and more aero because uh, uh, in climbs, uh, I suck now. <laughs> so <laughs> even if I, I have a bicycle one kilo less, uh, if I go to a Gran Fondo, the first riders in a 20 minute, minutes climb will give me two minutes. And uh, I don't care if they give me two minutes and 20 seconds or one minute and 40 seconds. Uh, uh, I like to have a stiff bicycle because when I, when I go on the pedals and I push, I want to, I want to feel the, the sensation that uh, every drop of power I put on my pedals goes uh, to the wheels and to the, to the road. Uh, on the contrary, for some riders, for a, uh, a light rider or for, or for a climber, is of course more important the, the weight. But uh, for, uh, for the aero bicycles, I think, and, and this is, <laughs> of course, the, the market wants to, to sell the idea that an aero bicycle uh, gives you more speed uh, on flat uh, terrains, of course. But the, the things that gives you more speed is the position you have on the, on the bicycle. I am also a bike fitter, and uh, I, in my lab, I see a lot of uh, a lot of guys, a lot of amateur guys, who buy aero bicycles. But of course, they are uh, twenty kilos more than they should be. Uh, they their back flexibility is very poor. And so they have to raise the bar, the, the handlebar, uh, and they don't have an aero position at all. So it's, it's worthless to have an aero bicycle and then you don't have an aero position because uh, you, can't, uh, you, can, uh, you can't sustain it. Uh, so when, some, when uh, the amateur guys ask me uh, a tip about uh, the bicycle to buy, if they don't have uh, racing, uh, uh, if they want, they, they, if for if if for them racing is not so important and they don't uh, take uh, a lot of care about uh, the results, I tell them get the bicycle you like from the aesthetic. <laughs> Point of view, of course. Exactly. Of course, the 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 first thing, uh, the the most important thing is the the size of the bicycle, and uh, not all the bicycles are for all the th- for all the cyclists because, uh, for example, the head tube, in my opinion, now is the limiting factor of the bicycles, and uh, it's uh, it's hacked should uh, determine the, the the frame size for for the for the rider 
Uh, for example, if a rider, as I said, uh, is uh, a little bit uh, fatter than he should, than he should be, and, uh, <laughs> his, his low flexibility, his, his back flexibility, is poor, uh, he has to uh, consider to get a bicycle with a high head tube. Uh, if if he likes a bike with a a, a low head tube, uh, I have to tell him. That uh, even if he likes it, it's better if he doesn't get it because Might not he, work. Will never, <laughs> he will never be comfortable on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfectly understand. So yeah, depends a lot on on the person that is about uh, on the bike and maybe uh, could, could be interesting. So, uh, uh, as for the weight of the bicycle, uh, from the <laughs> physics point of view. Uh, you should consider that uh, one kilo more or less. Is about uh, from th- from three to four seconds. One kilo more is about from from th- uh, three to four seconds more uh, every uh, one hundred meters of uh, um, gain altitude. altitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for example, in a one thousand meters uh, uh, climb, 30, 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, one kilo is a third from thirty to forty seconds. Uh, they can be a lot or, or not, or not so many. Uh, it depends on <laughs> on who on who rides it. Exactly. But for example, two kilos. Uh, if you talk about uh, uh, a Fondo with uh, three thousand meters of uh, gain altitude, uh, it could uh, two kilos are uh, 90, uh, almost three from three to four minutes more. Can be the difference between winning the Ganfondo or finishing tenth. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly see that. Fine. It's very nice and <laughs> also here there. It yeah. Your your answer it's it's always the same. It depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always the same. You need, you need to understand what you have uh, as advantage and as disadvantage in yeah. in, in anything. Yeah. So you always uh, have to put everything on a scale and. Uh... <laughs> And weigh all the, all the factors, and then choose something that you like, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. that will allow you to train more and be happier on your bike. Which, at the end of the story, is what yeah. everyone wants to, yeah. to do. Yes, yeah, that should be good. So, I would like to close with with some numbers. If you can give me some, or if you remember some. So, uh, I'm really curious on on the best numbers that you have seen from from the people that you train. Yeah. So. First question: Biggest sprint as peak power, like five seconds that you've seen. The, the biggest uh, five second power I've seen, uh, around two thousand watts. Madon. Okay. <laughs> of course, for riders weighing more than eighty kilos. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I think yeah. If you talk about uh, watts per kilo ratio, uh, the the best sprinters. I talk about road sprinters that that are different from uh, track sprinters, but the, the numbers for road sprinters for five seconds are about uh, 25 watts mm-hmm. per kilo. So for a rider weighing 70 kilos, it's 170, uh, 1,750. Now, for example, when I when I was a pro cyclist, I, my my weight was around 70 and 72 kilos. 
and uh, my peak power was between 1,600 1, and 1,800. It depended on the on the on the periods. Uh, now the the peak power is almost the same for me, but the weight is uh, twelve or or fifteen kilos more. Man. So the, the peak power is the same, but the the, the peak uh, watts per kilo ratio is completely different. That that, that comes with age and with wisdom. <laughs> Some extra kilograms. Second question: biggest twenty minutes that you've seen from the people from the people that you train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 20 minutes is uh, very close to 7 watts per kilo. Uh, very close. Can we know who? So, <laughs> no, it's better not. Can we know if it's mountain bike or road? <laughs> uh, I don't see many difference between uh, best mountain bikers 20 minutes and best road 20 minutes. I have a uh, very high data from the both of the, the, the both of them. Uh, if we talk about watts per kilo, yeah. if we talk about uh, absolute power, uh, 20 minutes, very close to 460, 480. Wow. Of course, for riders weighing 80 kilos or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And biggest training block, uh, let's, let's, let's go a little bit technical here. Uh, since you use tra uh, training peaks, uh, the TSS is probably very familiar. Uh, biggest, let's say, seven days of TSS that you've seen, is it in a, in a race, in a tour, or is it in specific training blocks before that? And how high did that number go? In some races, for example, Usually the, the one-week races, you have a very, very high TSS uh, per, per a week. Mm -hmm. Usually higher than, uh, than in three-week three stages, because uh, stage races, because, of course, uh, the, the race is longer. So the, the TSS for, per one week is, uh, is, uh, is lower. And uh, there are some uh, periods of the year that uh, in training, you could uh, you could reach uh, very high uh, TSS uh, values, uh, higher in uh, in training than uh, than in racing. Uh, the biggest values, uh, probably uh, very close to two thousand and fifty. Uh, yeah, two thousand and five hundred. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, very high. Is yeah. is the person still alive? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, the highest value I've ever seen. Normally, uh, a week uh, of uh, very hard work could could be around uh, one hundred and five one thousand five hundred TSS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is uh, still impressive. Anyways, uh, yeah, it's a very high value. Yeah, the the, the training with the the, the, the the highest TSS. Uh, over than five, over than four hundred, between four hundred and five hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about uh, extreme performances like Everesting, or uh, but yeah. I think that no, no, no. I don't like that thing. <laughs> I am biased. I don't really like Everesting. I mean, for me, it's just you are on your bike for a lot of hours and you go slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not yeah, very appealing yeah. to me. <laughs> 
but still I, I admire people that do it it's just that it's a different type of cycling which uh, well for me it's not it's not my kind of cycling uh, I understand people that do it uh, but go on if it makes you happy <laughs> everyone can find his uh, his attitude and uh, can follow his uh, uh, what what they like yeah. there is someone likes go full gas for one hour someone who likes go full gas for five and someone who likes to go slow for three days mm -hmm. and you have people that at a certain point they tell you i don't want to train anymore i don't like this it's too much people that get you know they go so much into the training that they, it comes against them so they don't want to take it anymore uh, yes but it's more more easy the the contrary uh, i mean that they they don't realize they are training too much and the training is going against them but they don't realize it they they enter a loop where they they think that the more they train and the more they they get fit but uh, of course uh, over a certain uh, point it's it, it gets worse instead of getting better And uh, it's like, uh, uh, I, don't, I call it uh, uh, endorphin uh, uh, addiction. Yeah, uh, they, they get uh, like, uh, like the drugs addicted. If they don't, uh, they don't feel pain, if they don't uh, arrive home after the training almost dead, they don't uh, feel uh, good with themselves. And uh, they don't uh, understand, they don't realize in that moment that uh, they are... Uh, doing something bad uh, to their uh, to their body and also to their performance uh, what can you do in that case uh from from your point of view as a coach what what do you tell uh, them I, I, can, i can show them the numbers mm -hmm. because i think it's the best response uh, uh for this in this kind of situation because uh, from the from a rational point of view it's difficult to to make them understand that uh, they should take some rest they should uh, uh, train a little bit a little bit less uh, but uh, it's, it's not easy uh, there are some cases where when uh, <laughs> even if you show them the numbers if the, even if they they seem to understand that uh, they should uh, take a rest uh, and uh, train train less than they are doing than they are doing then when they go on the bicycle they they don't understand anything and they keep on riding like uh, uh, because they want to arrive home with uh, as i told before they want to arrive home head and uh, they, they can't walk but they have to kneel down uh, uh, the, on the stairs to go to reach the the first floor uh, th th this is not so uncommon in uh, in uh, endurance sports in, in cycling uh, in this case well if, if i can tell you uh from, from my point of view um I mean, this year happened to me exactly the same So if you remember when when you you made some very interesting races uh, this year during during COVID, so there was this series of races that we were doing indoor. Uh, was about one hour of going full gas and was a chance for amateur people going with elite people in the mountain bike world. And I, I arrived to those races. I was actually in my peak form more or less. Um, I, I did the race 
uh, in the following weeks uh, after that race, I was having very high workload um, actually at work, and I was still yeah. cycling quite a lot. And I was just starting to feel that I was in a bad mood. Uh, my numbers were going down. Uh, at a point, uh, I just said to myself, okay, like this, it doesn't work. Uh, so yeah. if, if, if it was a week of perfect weather, and I just said, no, I, I will not ride my bike this week because if I keep doing it, it, it doesn't work. So I took a, a week of complete break. Uh, um, I got back on a bike after seven days and the first days were awful. But after just two or three rides, my, my, I mean, my motivation to, to go again on the bike was very high. My mood was perfect. And in two weeks, I was back where I was before, ready to start. And I really think I dodged a bullet this way. Um, sometimes you just don't realize that you're on a limit and you keep pushing. Yes, yes. I, I, as, as you experienced, it is very common. And uh, if you're sensitive and clever like you, you can uh, face it and uh, you can uh, take a little rest and you, you go back to the, to the situation, to the condition you had before. If you don't, if you don't listen to your body, uh, it, it gets worse and worse, and it could get it could become also a, a clinical situation mm-hmm. where you can't sleep, you can't eat, uh, and uh, overtraining is uh, is the name of it, as uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, almost everybody knows. And uh, it's a it's a very tough situation, and uh, it's not easy to to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, sometimes. People that you have around can can help you a lot with, with that. I mean, when when they just see that you are tired, they give you a little bit of advice. You'll have a beer or two and take some easy days, and out of a sudden, yeah, the situation will will get better. Yes, normally it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. So, great. We talked about a lot. So mountain bike road, big numbers from from seven watts per kilo to two thousand watts to twenty five hundred TSS. <laughs> so th- that is amazing. So many thanks for for sharing uh, with us your your story. Uh, how how I mean you started cycling. How is your coaching now, and and how these things about numbers develop. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very Gladly see you and your Astana team on, on on the TV. Actually, if things starts going again, so races will start again, right? Yeah, it should, uh, we we should start racing. Yes, uh, UCI now has a, a calendar, and uh, uh, we should start racing uh, racing at the end of July. And uh, if uh, the war situation uh, is uh, keeps going uh, and uh, and gets better uh, we should ra- start racing in a month in, so in uh, the end of, uh, of July uh, let's hope uh, <laughs> we can do it uh, if it, if the if it goes like this the we will have uh, three months of uh, full gas racing because uh, October um, September uh, August September October will be very very intense months with uh, three stage races in uh, three months all the classics all the one week races so it, it it won't be easy to to manage it uh, for the athletes for the coaches for the 
logistic point of view uh, for all the teams. So, but uh, let's hope that uh, we can start uh, racing at uh, for, for the good of cycling and for, for the good of sport and for the good of everybody. Sure. And then perhaps we'll meet in some races, mountain bike in, in northern Italy. <laughs> and then th there I know one thing that I, do, I just can't come to a sprint with you. <laughs> no, probably not. But when I, when I race, I for, uh, my philosophy never sprint to, uh, against anyone. I, <laughs> I never sprint because uh, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> peaceful, peaceful guy. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the interview. It's been, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it and uh, I hope uh, uh, you enjoyed it too. Great. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Ciao, grazie. <laughs> Nothing to say, Claudio is really an amazing guy, super talented with a lot of amazing insights. And I really like his point of view on a lot of things. I actually noted down after listening to it, I noted down three topics, three uh, bullet points, three points that were really interesting. So uh, at a certain point he says that a cross-country mountain biker is an all-rounder cyclist is way more complete than a road cyclist. And that's something that probably somebody here in this podcast needs to keep in mind. Going to the dirty roads makes you a bit an all-rounder cyclist, a bit more complete. Another thing is that in order for you to succeed on the off-road, in this case, in mountain bike, I think it's the same thing on gravel bike. You don't have to forget about going to the gym, of course, but also do some... Uh, uh, something like technical skills training on going to tough terrains and stuff like this. In this way, you will actually earn a bit more of speed and keep a bit more of seconds in uh, races and also in rides. So if you care about being the first one, please not only train on your power, but also train on your skills. And also it makes everything a bit more fun. The last thing that he said that is really interesting for me is buy the bike you like because this is going to be the one taking you outside and you're going to be motivating on being outside but watch out your back i think it's a great tip don't choose only the bike go to the store and buy it or go online and buy it but all the times please talk with a biomechanic a bike fitter an expert on that because yes some bikes that look cool ridden by pro cyclists they're not the best for your body and probably you will not be fast and comfortable on them so keep this in mind i think that simon does it really good usually he sees all the experts in when he has to change bike or he needs to pick up a new one whatever by the way now simon is riding his amazing cannondale cad i think it was a cad 12 cad 11 don't remember so it's an aluminium bike and is around six kilos of weight. What does it mean? Why I'm saying that? Because Simon is definitely the fastest cyclist I've ever ride with. And uh, of course, of course, he doesn't need a speak and span super new last model bike to be so good. So remember, it's not only about the bicycle, the expensive bicycle with all the components that you are riding, but the bicycle that you like first and the passion that you have in order to have fun of it. Because it's everything about having fun on the bike, not just buying things, but being the best version of yourself. 
That said, I want to say thank you for listening till there. And thanks to Claudio for being part of this podcast. And thanks, Simon, for organizing all of that. You're really the best. And if you want to give us a bit, a bit of a support, subscribe, rate, review, like, and share these episodes with all your friends. Another thing that you can do for supporting us is putting a like to the Broom Wagon Club on Instagram and subscribe to the bi-weekly newsletter that I'm sending out. The link is down in the description below. And thanks a lot for listening and thanks a lot to Open for being so awesome with all the initiatives, uh, charity initiatives in this case, that they are carrying on uh, in the cycling world and not only, and for supporting this podcast and the exploration of many, many, many people riding the bike as well as the comfort. The app is super comfortable, even if it's really a fast machine. That said, thanks a lot for listening and I will talk to you next week, yeah?